We'll go ahead and get started in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God. Amen. O Lord, make us worthy to pray. Thankfully, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Through Christ Jesus, our Lord. The land is the kingdom, the power, and the glory of God. Amen. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, one God. Amen. Greetings, everyone, from St. Basil's Church. Um, we had a meeting here just a few minutes ago. And so now we're beginning what is now the second talk on the Book of Acts. And so as we talked about last week, the Book of Acts is uh, the Acts of the Apostles, or more accurately, it's the Acts of the Holy Spirit working through the Apostles. So it really is the Acts of the Holy Spirit. These Acts of the Holy Spirit are the acts that are still continuing in the church. So it started with the early church and it's continuing 2000 years later and we see it um, very active. He's very active in our church, bringing people and adding uh, to the church daily and, and always revitalizing and renewing the Christians that are inside the church. So we talked a little bit last week about um, chapter one. Uh, we, we went over like the um, introduction of the book of Acts, the purpose of the book of Acts, which is basically the demonstration of the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, that's the theme of the book of Acts. And that demonstration comes with the workings of the Holy Spirit, uh, both in working miracles and preaching and in the transformation of the early uh, believers of the church. And we also went in great detail over chapter one last week. And so um, today, we'll, our goal is to really, because uh, even you know, within one hour to cover seven chapters is really difficult. So what we'll do is um, you know, basically go over a, big, a quick synopsis of the seven chapters, and then uh, we'll pick certain areas that we'll focus on. Today, we'll focus on the, the uh, the speech that St. Peter gave and also the speech that St. Stephen gave. And we're going to stop and actually read those uh, portions of the chapter. And then um, we'll, in this case too, we'll also talk about another big event, which is the uh, Pentecost. So, so just as a quick summary of the first uh, seven chapters of the book of Acts, um, it starts off with Christ being with the apostles for 40 days, right? So he ate with them, drank with them, uh, reminded them of the uh, amazing things that he did uh, during his three-year ministry. He taught them the meaning of scripture of the Old Testament, of all the prophecies of the Old Testament, of the uh, very clear um, pointing of all of the Old Testament to the things that they are now living uh, in, the, in the church. Um, he taught them things like uh, church tradition, like the sacraments, like baptism, um, and the liturgy and the communion and things of that sort. Uh, he gave them the priestly authority uh, to go and make other bishops and priests and to officiate on the sacraments. Uh, and then he, he also taught them about the kingdom of God, uh, very mysterious things that some are written in the book of Acts and some are not written in the book of Acts. And then he gave the great command to go and preach to all the world and they eventually do that. Um, and we also talked last week, too, that the book of Acts does not in any way cover all of the things that the apostles did. In fact, it focuses on two apostles, the, uh, mainly the first few chapters on uh, St. Peter. And then at the end of it, near um, all the way to the end, is focused on St. Paul. 
And because we know that St. Paul labored more abundantly than they all, it really focuses mostly on St. Paul. And also because the author of the book of Acts is St. Luke, who was a disciple of St. Paul. And so we see the, um, the early church, we see its glory, we see its epic story, and we, we see how it's still continuing to this day. So the goal of after all these four weeks is that we have a feeling that the book of Acts is still being written in a way. Um, and, you know, if you forgive me saying these kind of words, right, that it, the book of Acts isn't completed yet. It's still continuing. Uh, that's why the book of Acts, you might have heard this before, is that it has a really abrupt ending. It doesn't end with amen. It doesn't have a conclusion. Um, it just kind of stops because it's still being written in a way that the Holy Spirit is still active. The church and the time of grace is still um, uh, bringing people closer to God, perfecting people. Um, and bringing them closer to what we're supposed to be, which is basically perfection in our Lord Jesus Christ. But um, we received what's not written, we received through holy tradition, of course. Um, the first seven chapters goes on by um, with Christ telling them to wait until they receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And then we see Christ ascending to heaven. Uh, the Pentecost happens. Uh, we talked about the Ascension last week. We'll talk about the Pentecost this week, uh, which we celebrated just a few days ago, or if, I want to say a few couple weeks ago. The uh, Pentecost uh, is basically the receiving of the Holy Spirit in the hearts and minds of the believers. Um, and then St. Peter gives this amazing speech that converts 3,000 people. Can you imagine that? Uh, then um, he and all the apostles give the Holy Spirit to the believers. And we'll talk about how they did that. Um, we talk about the simple living of the early church and how the early church and the early believers lived very simply. Uh, they shared everything they had. They, um, they took care of each other. They were very, the Bible says, they were glad. They lived their life in gladness and contentment and simplicity. Um, those are the things that make for joy and peace, right? Um, we, we see a very powerful testimony of the Holy Spirit working in the hearts and minds of the believers in performing amazing miracles. And we touched on those miracles last week as well. Um, then we see that the apostles went through a terrible persecution, um, imprisonments and trials uh, of the apostles and the early believers. Uh, we also see a little bit of early corruption as well with Ananias and Sapphira. And then we also note another important event, which is the office of the deacon, uh, part of the priesthood, uh, is established by the apostles. The, for the first deacon, which is Stephen, um, he was arrested, but he gives a very powerful testimony, and the Jewish leaders were cut to the heart and were determined to stone him, and they put their clothes off so that they can have better throwing ability. And they put their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul, who uh, consented, of course, to the murdering of St. Stephen. St. Stephen became the first recorded martyr of the early church. He's called the proto-martyr. Uh, continued uh, persecution promotes the apostles to kind of depart from Jerusalem and go towards Judea and Samaria, just like Christ prophesied that they would do. And... Um, they thus becomes the launching pad, of course, to preaching all over the world, which we'll get to in later chapters on Acts. 
So with that, um, if I can get a volunteer to read, uh, we're going to read, if you'll bear with me, we're going to read the sections on the Pentecost. We'll read St. Peter's speech, and then we'll also reach, read uh, the, um, the, the, the speech of St. Stephen, which is the longest portion of it. So is uh, anyone available to read the Pentecost? Any volunteers? Mm -hmm. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind and that filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire and one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with tongues with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused because everyone heard them in their own language. Then they were amazed and marveled and saying one to one another, look, are all these who speak Galileans? And how is it that we hear each in our own language in which we were born? Parthians and Medes and Elamites, those dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Pisgrigia and Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya adjoining Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them speaking in our own tongues and the wonderful works of God. So they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, whatever could this mean? Others mocking said, they are full of new wine. Thank you. You're welcome. So we see that, um, you know, and, and some of this we kind of spoke about during the um, during the sermon on the Pentecost a few uh, weeks ago, a couple weeks ago, but uh, real quick, so the um, the Pentecost is, you know, during this holy time, actually, we celebrate three of the seven feasts of the church, and these seven feasts uh, mark very important events that our Lord Jesus Christ did for our salvation. Uh, it starts with Christmas, Epiphany, Palm Sunday, the Annunciation, um, of course, the resurrection, ascension, and Pentecost, those three happen within a span of a couple months or so. And so, you know, we look at those and we, we know that it's a pretty major event that, um, that occurred, which, you know, which is the Pentecost. And the Pentecost, um, it basically divides two uh, phases in the church history. Number one, it uh, separates it from the 40 days that Christ stayed with the apostles, teaching him the things that we just discussed. And then it also marks the beginning of the apostolic church, which is when the church actually was born and um, takes off, right, and, and goes to the rest of the world. So we call it the birthday of the church. That's when the church was formed, uh, when the Holy Spirit dwelt in the believers. 
um, it's one of the seven major feasts. We read about the apostles celebrating these feasts, right? So the church gets its only early tradition of marking these important events and celebrating them on an annual basis. We read about that in Acts uh, chapter 18 and 1 Corinthians chapter 16. Um, the Pentecost, of course, link, links those two periods. We just said that. Um, and it's important to note that the preaching of the apostles after Christ ascended, the apostles didn't begin to preach yet. They waited until the Holy Spirit was dwelling in them and the Holy Spirit was there doing the talking and doing the mighty works with them, accompanying them in their preaching and their ministry. So it occurred during a time when it was um, the harvest festival of the Jewish calendar. It's um, one of the few uh, times where Christ or where God says basically to remember this. Uh, period and um, and remember this uh, event on an annual basis. He says, behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look to the fields for they are already white for harvest. So Pentecost is really the Jewish time of the harvest, right? With um, which, which is the time that uh, the, the Jews celebrated that time. That's why a lot of Jews came from the diaspora, right? The places in Egypt and Greece and all those other places where some of the Jews resided, they would come back to Jerusalem to celebrate the Shavuot and uh, the Pentecost, right? Which is the harvest festival. And that's what the Pentecost is. So it's really appropriate that the Pentecost occurs during this harvest time because this harvest is really the true harvest is the apostles going around to the world and picking as if a farmer were to pick wheat with a sickle, picking up the believers and harvesting the, the believers who God made ready to receive the Holy Spirit, just like we did. So they were all with one accord. They were in unity. And that's something not to be looked over, right? The Holy Spirit came when the believers were in unity together. And I love this quote by St. John Chrysostom, who says, observe how when one is continuing in prayer, when one is in love, it is then when the Holy Spirit draws near. The Holy Spirit draws near to us and is active among us when we are showing love to one another, we're, when we're in unity with one another. That's when the Holy Spirit is very present, active, and we're seeing him uh, work among all of us. The other thing to note about the Pentecost is that it didn't just come quietly. It came with some sensible tokens. Um, it came with a sound from heaven as if a, like a rushing mighty wind came, uh, brought everyone around uh, to that spot and assisted in the believing of uh, what happened. That something, hey, something strange is happening here. Um, but still, even then, they uh, a lot of people said, hey, these guys are full of wine. They call them drunkards because they were out there, you know, speaking in everybody's language. Uh, the other sensible token is the divided tongues of fire that sat upon each one of them uh, as a uh, tongue of fire. Um, so it says sad because it means the settling, right? The, it's, a, it's a visible uh, assurance that the Holy Spirit didn't just come and kind of bless us and leave, but more than that, it this is a greater measure than ever happened before in the history of humanity, that the Holy Spirit not just blessed us, but actually sat on us, right? Like to actually sit and reside within our hearts. Not, um, not like a dove uh, previously that would come and fly away, uh, you know, but like a fire, right? Like a fire that would dwell and consume us like 
be inside of our hearts. And, and then um, as prophesied in Joel, right, it said that it shall come to pass, therefore, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy and your old men shall dream dreams and your young men shall see visions. This is, uh, this is something new, something that never happened before. So it needed these kind of sensible tokens, sensible uh, signs, so that people understand that this is the working of God. The Spirit, you know, the Holy Spirit did come on the lives of the believers in the past, in the Old Testament, right? Uh, we know that uh, the prophets were anointed and the Holy Spirit resided with them, but not at the same measure that you and I in the early church received the Holy Spirit. The prophets, for example, had to deal with one nation, Israel, right? And the apostles, though, they needed to deal with the whole world, like we are. We're dealing with the whole world. The prophets would receive it <clears throat> through oil or burning bush or the ability to speak. The apostles, though, they received it with fire that rested on them, that settled upon them. Moses was given a tongue to speak and wrestle with Pharaoh, right? He had to... You know, and he even talked about his weakness in speaking. He said, even after you talk to me, O oh Lord, I'm still not able to speak. And that's why he had Aaron help him out. But the apostles here, right? These 12, uh, you know, very simple people, fishermen, um, they were given tongues to speak to the whole world, right? And, and to work in various languages, uh, as we just read today, just now, that they spoke in 16 different languages, including Coptic and Arabic and all these other Greek and all these other languages. So a much greater measure was given to the apostles than the times of the Old Testament. So there, <clears throat> there was a greater challenge that the apostles were faced with that the prophets never encountered, right? And because there was a greater challenge, God's presence was much uh, deeper and more residing and had greater visible tokens which is why he's called the paraclete, the comforter. He's, he gives us comfort and peace during different challenges. Um, he's also called the spirit of truth and the helper, uh, and they would need it. The apostles definitely would need it. As we talked about last week, all of them were martyred, and what they accomplished was beyond human uh, ability, what they did. So with that, we're going to now, again, we talked about, you know, it's very difficult during, you know, just one hour to cover uh, seven chapters. So we're going to pick certain areas and folk read, read the uh, chapter. So we're encouraged to read it in case some of you have not read it. And then we'll talk about it. Okay. So can I get another volunteer to read St. Peter's speech? But Peter, standing up with the 11, raised his voice and said to them, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and heed my words. For these are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day, but this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, out of my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did through him in your midst. As you yourselves also know, 
him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands, have crucified and put to death, whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be held by it. Oh, for David says concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is at my right hand, that I may not be shaken. For you will not leave my soul in Hades, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. You have made known to me the ways of life. You will make me full of joy in your presence. Men and brethren, let me speak freely to you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Therefore, being a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his body, according to the flesh, he would raise up the Christ to sit on his throne. He, foreseeing this, spoke concerning the resurrection of the Christ, that his soul was not left in Hades, Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God has raised up, of which we are all witnesses, therefore being exalted to the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out this which you now see and hear. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said to them, Repent, and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you and to your children, and to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. And with many other words he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common, and sold their possessions and goods, and divided them among all as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Thank you very much. So just a few points um, that we see in St. Peter's amazing speech. And after this speech, 3,000 people convert, right? Can you imagine that? That after he gives a speech, they were cut to the heart and they said, what shall we do? They confessed Christ as the Lord and they were baptized. Uh, and they noted that it wasn't enough just to confess, but St. Peter insisted that they be baptized. Uh, that must have took all day to baptize 3,000 people, but they you know, if it wasn't necessary, why do it? They insisted on baptizing 3,000 people that day. Um, St. Peter, right, gives a gentle response, first of all. Uh, you see his love and his amazing character in this. 
that to the accusations that they were drunk. Um, he says, for these are not drunk as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day, about 9 a.m. when this happened. And so, you know, if somebody calls you a drunk, you might want to just, you know, come back and want to respond really quickly. Um, but uh, St. Peter was very gentle. Uh, only one sentence as a response. He didn't linger on the insult. Uh, he just said, hey, it's not as you suppose, since it's only 9 a.m., by the way. Kind of brushed it off uh, kind of jokingly with them. Um, we see a glimpse of his love and humility, right? We need more of that on social media. If uh, somebody calls uh, somebody a drunk on, on Facebook, it's just a thread of insults going back and forth. Uh, people don't let anything go these days. But uh, so you see St. Peter's humility and love uh, not taking it seriously. Okay. So his, his response was humble at the insult, but very bold in regarding the message of Jesus Christ, the message of the gospel. An amazing change in St. Peter, right? The St. Peter, the simple fisherman who kind of showed a little bit of cowardness uh, in front of the servant girl when Christ was uh, arrested. Now you see him as a completely different person, right? Just a few days later, we're talking 50 days later after the crucifixion, right? After the resurrection, uh, just maybe 53, 54 days, right? Um, since the time when uh, he denied Christ. And so you see the boldness uh, in, in such a change in a person. You don't see that kind of 180 degree turn. He's quoting from scripture. He's saying, men of Judea, men of Israel, you have taken Christ by lawless hands. Listen to my words. He was very bold. He spoke loudly. Something happened, right? It's an amazing change. Um, he shows that great freedom of speech where before he was hiding uh, in closed doors for fear of his life. Now, all of a sudden, he's preaching with probably soldiers of the Rome standing by, all the Jewish leaders standing by, uh, very bold in proclaiming God's mercy more than anything, right? Uh, his goal, as we talked about last week, is to show the resurrection of Jesus Christ that they were all very familiar with that he was crucified. Now they're telling him, look, he's now raised from the dead. These signs that you just saw with the wind and the fire and the speaking of tongues, he's risen. And they were cut to the heart from this after uh, St. Peter quoted scripture uh, on what happened. Uh, even those who turned him over to be crucified, those who stood silently or, or stood silently while it happened, those people now were cut to the heart and said, what should we do? And even them, even in the face of this, we see God's forgiveness and love. And many of them repented and became baptized that day. Because as, and it shall come to pass that whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. He showed great balance, therefore, between kindness and boldness and emphasizes God, emphasizing God's mercy. Uh, St. Peter, which is the same as St. Paul, and I'm sure the same with all the apostles, they first focused on the manhood of Christ. They didn't go into deep theological issues, right? They, their number one point, the beginning of their faith, the beginning and foundation of the Christian faith is to believe that Christ was crucified and that he rose again from the dead. Once you believe this, everything's going to fall in order after that with patience and uh, a little bit of effort uh, with the guidance of the Holy Spirit. But with the foundation, it really is all about believing that Christ is risen from the dead and he lives indeed. Um, so by gentle degrees, we see it in the apostles' writings and in the book of Acts, and we see it in the early church fathers as well. 
by gentle degrees, the apostles led the believers to higher truths, right? You start with the beginning and work your way up. And so the uh, Acts of the Apostles is about this. For, this. for this, in fact, is just what this book is, a demonstration of the resurrection, this being once believed, the rest would come in due course, as St. John Chrysostom said. And by the way, we put a link on the video on YouTube of uh, St. John's verse-by-verse uh, -verse commentary on the book of Acts. It's over 500 pages, so he goes into great detail, but you can, you know, if you're reading along and you want to know more about a certain topic in the book of Acts, you can quickly find the right homily, because the homily has the, the verses next to it, and you can go to the homily and learn more and, and kind of deepen your understanding a little bit with the help of one of the giants of the church, which is St. John. He also quotes at length, uh, St. Peter does, going back to St. Peter, he quotes at length from Joel as one of the prophets, uh, prophecies in chapter two, especially about the coming of, uh, you know, the Holy Spirit and about the blood and fire and vapor of smoke. A very strange thing that St. Peter quotes here. He's mentioning blood, fire and vapor of, sm uh, of, of smoke. Uh, he's telling people in, in the boldness of St. Peter about what was to come on Jerusalem. Uh, in a short period of time, hinting the, the the wrath that would come that Christ previously prophesied about, that the Romans would come and destroy Jerusalem, and with it the temple that was the focus of their uh, worship. It was the focus of the sacrifice. Um, you know that was be it would be so um, uh, like like you know central to the belief of the Jews at the time, which is the the establishment of the temple and the ability to perform the law, which is the sacrifices that were required of them. So without the temple, you can't sacrifice. And if you can't sacrifice, you're really not performing the law uh, as it should be. And so, but he was hinting that this is what is to come in a short period of time. And we're gonna read more about that with St. Stephen. Right, and the same theme occurs as well. Now, I'll also need a volunteer for this, but this is seven slides, it's a little bit longer. We're gonna read the entire chapter, uh, but it's really interesting. Try to stay uh, focused with it, and uh, we'll talk about it afterwards, okay? So I'll need a volunteer who, uh, maybe we can split it up after the first three, and then uh, the last four slides with someone else. So if I can get a couple volunteers, and if uh, you wanna volunteer again that you've already read, that's okay too. And Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and signs among the people. Then there arose some from what is called the synagogue of the freed, uh, freedmen, uh, Cyrenians, Alexandrians, and those from Cilicia and Asia, disputing with Stephen. And they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spoke. Then they secretly induced men to say, we have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people, the elders and the scribes, and they came upon him, seized him, and brought him to the council. They also set up false witnesses who said, This man does not cease to speak blasphemous words against this holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs which Moses delivered to us. And all who sat in the council, looking steadfastly at him, saw his face as the face of an angel. Then the high priest said, Are these things so? And he said, Brethren and fathers, listen. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia, before he dwelt in Haran, 
and said to him, get out of your country and from your relatives and come to a land that I will show you. Then he came out of the land of the Chaldeans and dwelt in Haran. And from there, when his father was dead, he moved him to this land in which you now dwell. And God gave to him no inheritance in it, not even enough to set his foot on. But even when Abraham had no child, he promised to give it to him for a possession and to his descendants after him. But God spoke in this way that his descendants would dwell in a foreign land and that they would bring them into bondage and oppress them 400 years. And the nation to whom they will be in bondage, I will judge, said God. And after that, they shall come out and serve me in this place. Then he gave him the covenant of uh, circumcision. And so Abraham begot Isaac and circumcised him on the eighth day. And Isaac begot Jacob and Jacob begot the 12 patriarchs. But then the time of the promise drew near, which God had sworn to Abraham, the people grew and multiplied in Egypt till another king arose who did not know Joseph. This man dwelt treacherously with our people and oppressed our forefathers, making them expose their babies so that they might not live. At this time, Moses was born and was well-pleasing to God, and he was brought up in his father's house for three months. But when he was set out, Pharaoh's daughter took him away and brought him up as her own son. And Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was mighty in words and deeds. Now when he was 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brethren, the children of Israel. And seeing one of them suffer wrong, he defended and avenged him who was oppressed and struck down the Egyptian. For he supposed that his brethren would have understood that God would deliver them by his hand, but they did not understand. And the next day he appeared to two of them as they were fighting and tried to reconcile them, saying, Men, you are brethren. Why do you wrong one another? But he who did his neighbor wrong pushed him away, saying, Who made you a ruler and a judge over us? Do you want to kill me as you did the Egyptian yesterday? Then at this saying, Moses fled and became a dweller in the land of Midian, where he had two sons. And when 40 years had passed, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire in a bush in the wilderness of Mount Sinai. When Moses saw it, he marveled at the sight. And as he drew near to observe, the voice of the Lord came to him, saying, I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses trembled and dared not look. Then the Lord said to him, Take your sandals off your feet, for the place where you stand is holy ground. I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt. I have heard their groaning and have come down to deliver them. And now come, I will send you to Egypt. This Moses, whom they rejected, saying, Who made you a ruler and a judge, is the one God sent sent to be a ruler and a deliverer by the hand of the angel who appeared to him in the bush. He brought them out after he had shown wonders and signs in the land of Egypt and in the Red Sea and in the wilderness 40 years. You okay, keep reading. Okay. okay. This uh, this is that Moses who said to the children of Israel, "The Lord your God God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brethren. Him you shall hear." This is he who has who was in the congregation in the wilderness with the angel who spoke to him on Mount Sinai, and with our fathers, the one who received the living oracles to give to us, whom our fathers would not obey but rejected. 
And in their hearts, they turned back to Egypt, saying to Aaron, Make us gods to go before us. As for this Moses who brought us out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. And they made a calf in those days, offered sacrifices to the idol, and rejoiced in the works of their own hands. Then God turned and gave them up to worship the host of heaven. Our fathers had the tabernacle of witness in the wilderness, as he appointed, instructing Moses to make it according to the pattern that he had seen, which our fathers, having received it in turn, also brought with Joshua into the land possessed by the Gentiles, whom God drove out before the face of our fathers until the days of David, who found favor before God and asked to find a dwelling for the God of Jacob. But Solomon built him a house. However, the Most High does not dwell in temples made with hands, as the prophet says. Heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. What house will you build for me, says the Lord, or what is the place of my rest? As my hand not made, has my hand not made all these things? You stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who forfeited the coming of the just one, of whom you now have become the betrayers and murderers, and have received the law by the direction of angels, and have not kept it. When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart, and they gnashed at him with their teeth. But he, being full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God, and said, Look, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Then they cried out with a loud voice, stopped their ears, and ran at him with one accord. And they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. And they stoned Stephen as he was calling on God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he knelt down and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them as, do not charge them with this sin. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Thank you so much for reading. Of course. The whole thing. I appreciate it. No problem. Um, yeah. Take a rest. <laughs> I'll get so some water. We see, we see that St. Stephen, right? He was put on a trial because uh, because they believed that Jesus said that the temple would be destroyed, right? But he wasn't saying that uh, he would be destroying it or his followers would be destroying it, but that he prophesied, right? So they, they had that ringing still in their ears. And so um, we, we see a lot of uh, beautiful things on the personality of St. Stephen, right? It says here that he was a man full of faith and full of the Holy Spirit, full of power and boldness. And after his ordination as a deacon, he performed wonders and signs among the people. Um, they were not able to resist his wisdom, right? They, he would debate with them and they couldn't argue with him. They couldn't resist it. Uh, he had grace on his face. You know, he, his face, uh, he saw his face as the face of an angel. His face like had this angelic uh, glow to it. Um, I, I want to stop here and tell you guys a story about a person who, uh, was drawing uh, and an, like a religious scene. And so he said, you know, I need to pick someone that has like a peaceful face so that he can represent Christ. And so he found uh, that person and he drew Christ uh, resembling this person that he found, uh, this anonymous person that he found. And so uh, he draws the rest of the painting and a few months go by and he's like, okay, now I need somebody that looks like Judas, right? Somebody that looks kind of not peaceful, the complete opposite. So he looks around and finds this anonymous guy as well. And he says, hey, do you mind if I use you to draw Judas? He says, well, don't you remember me? 
I'm the same guy you picked uh, to choose to uh, draw Jesus. And he's like, okay, well, what happened? You're, you, you look different. He says, yeah, I went through a certain trial in my life and it's, it's been very difficult. I started questioning God's existence and I'm kind of falling away from the faith a little bit. And so you see that uh, the, the, the interesting thing is that, you know, whether you call it grace or just the, the peace that one shows on his face, that St. Stephen had that. He had this amazing glow around him, right? Uh, that they said that he, they beheld his face, the face of an angel. Uh, we re, you know, he was well read. He was quoting scripture and he was very forgiving. Uh, following the model of our Lord Jesus Christ, he forgave them even at the point of his death. So an amazing saint, uh, we ask for his uh, uh, prayers all the time. And he is, of course, remembered in the commemoration of the saints. Uh, he is the patron saint of deacons. Uh, all the time whenever the deacons have a meeting or anything they always put uh, St. Stephen I'm actually looking at his icon right behind the screen here so he's uh, listening in but let's go into his speech a little bit if you look at the tapestry of his uh, speech that we look at uh, he talks about a few things right um, he says that the God of glory appeared to Abraham and we'll, we'll look at the theme and what at what point is he trying to get across he looked at, um, he said, the God of glory appeared to Abraham. Abraham was from like Persia, right? He wasn't Jewish. Uh, the Jewish line began with him. He himself wasn't, right? Um, so what was there to be proud of? Before there was the term Jewish, before there was a temple or a tabernacle, before there were sacrifices, before circumcision, the God of glory, as he said, appeared to Abraham. It's God that gives the increase in this grace, right? He returns to this at the end of the speech, that God does not dwell in handmade uh, temples or, um, or places like that, right? What is the true temple? And we'll get to this. He also looked at the topology of Christ. Joseph, Abraham, Moses, all of these people, right, suffered and rejected by the very same people, uh, including all the prophets as well, by the way. They were all brought into like extreme danger. They, their, their lives were in danger. Uh, and many did die uh, by the very same people that they were actually saving, right? And this was a topology of Christ, that Christ was saving those who actually crucified him, though they didn't realize it. But these were things, of course, that were uh, prophesied about. Uh, many examples of this, the prophets in the Old Testament, Moses, Elijah, David, and others, right? Uh, even those who were trying to, uh, like they were trying to help, like David with uh, Saul, uh, they were bringing them into uh, danger. And we look at the saints as well. The saints had that same spirit, right? We have St. Paul and all the apostles. I love the story of St. Marina, who the executioners uh, who killed her, um, they became Christian and they themselves became martyred. St. Ignatius, St. Athanasius, you know, the same people that they were helping were the same people that put them into uh, dangerous situations. Um, so Christ's suffering was no different than all the other prophets the, who all suffered by the hands of those that were trying to save. So, um, except, of course, that Christ was victorious in death. He overcame death. The irony is that when St. Uh, Stephen was giving this talk and reminding them of it, it didn't seem to stop them because they themselves stoned St. Stephen, uh, who forgave them and sees the heavens opening up. They stoned him after Stephen reminded them that, hey, you're, you guys are just like the ones who came before you who killed all the prophets. And sure enough, minutes later, they're stoning him to death. 
Um, <clears throat> that was point number one, that Christ, when he suffered all of these things, it wasn't anything that should be of any surprise to those who understood the true meaning of the Old Testament. The other thing, too, is that he, what he focuses on, um, and again, we go back to St. Peter's talk as well, that the Holy Spirit dwells in the true temple, the believer. So slowly they're turning the uh, believers away from the temple uh, to the true temple, which is the heart and minds of the believers. Uh, this is a much greater temple, a much more beautiful temple in God's eyes, uh, not handmade stones and beautiful uh, accomplishments like seven wonders of the world kind of thing that God doesn't take pleasure in all of this. What he finds of great beauty is the heart of, of a human being that accepts him. That to him is greater beauty than any beautiful building or temple that's ever been made. It's very relevant to us, right? Um, to those of uh, that generation, it was relevant because uh, soon after that, we know that the Romans came in the year around 70 AD and destroyed Jerusalem and with it the temple. Uh, it's, it remains uh, destroyed till today. Um, the apostles uh, would then, of course, leave uh, under the persecution before the temple was destroyed. They would leave uh, Jerusalem because of the persecution of the Jewish leaders. And they would preach in nearby Judea and Samaria, and then from there launch to the rest of the world. Um, it's relevant for us because we're part of that temple, that glory of God, right? That that glory, the God of glory that appeared to Abraham before there was a temple. He's now appearing in us and dwelling and residing in us. And um, the apostles, when they took the temple from Jerusalem, they took the temple and kind of made the temple much bigger because they allowed the Holy Spirit to uh, dwell in the hearts and minds of the believers. Of course, we know that St. Mark uh, went to Egypt and converted the early Christians there, and we're all fruits of that labor, right? Um, and, you know, the Coptic church kind of grew out of that. And so, you know, that we become now the temple of uh, the churches, the temple of Christ, not the building that we reside in, in on Ferris Drive in San Diego, but the, the true church, right, which is the hearts and minds of the believers, uh, the one that when, even when we come to church and take communion, we take it so that God may dwell in the true temple, which is uh, our own uh, being in, uh, in our hearts and minds forever and ever. Um, so hopefully that's a, like a brief introduction to those first seven chapters. Um, we will afterwards look at uh, uh, the next uh, seven chapters, chapters 8 through 14. We're going to get into, because uh, this story ends with the martyrdom of St. Stephen and this uh, person who was breathing threats on the church, his name was Saul. Um, out of this tragic event of the martyrdom of St. Stephen comes one of the most uh, amazing transformations and one uh, that would change the world, uh, which is the conversion of St. Paul, which we will read about how it comes out of the uh, martyrdoms of St. Stephen, uh, martyrdom of St. Stephen next week uh, when we all get together again on Tuesday, same time, God willing. Any questions at all?